0: I do appreciate the opportunity to step away last week and fill in for a friend of mine preaching. I think the the Lord was certainly faithful there. Uh, Many of you may not have even known, uh, except for Kyle standing up and preaching. So I am thankful for Pastor Kyle and his ministry and unfolding the riches of Christ from Jeremiah 31 last week, especially as he looked forward to uh, Hebrews and the way that that... Shows us the beauty of the new covenant, and so we're going to continue Jeremiah thirty-two, and to remind you, we're in a, a little section here. Uh, many have referred to it as the book of consolation. It's about four chapters, five chapters ish, that are put together, and it's sort of a respite. It's it's a it's a rest from the the onslaught of judgment that's coming from God by the hand of Jeremiah. And I felt uh, this, this chapter, 32, was uh, sort of unique in, in a couple of ways. And so we're going to approach it a little differently this morning. We're going to jump right in from the beginning, and we're going to tell the story as it unfolds. And so today you're not going to get a bunch of points like you typically get from me. Um, uh, so you may be able to, if you're taking notes, draw application as we go. But really, there's just one main point, and that is to show us the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. And so, this is Jeremiah 32. The title of the message today is A Good Investment. A Good Investment. The theme, obedience amid uncertainty, leads to deeper understanding of Christ's redeeming work. Obedience amid uncertainty leads to a deeper understanding of Christ's redeeming work. Now, the story is essentially built around uh, Jeremiah, and he is the illustration this time. This has happened to us a few times in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's told, uh, don't take a wife, don't have kids. Uh, This is going to show something about God's work among his people. Uh, He's told to take the yoke, build a yoke and put it on yourself. And it's sort of a, an illustration to uh, teach a lesson about God and his people. And so once again, this on this occasion, Jeremiah is instructed by God to buy a piece of property. And so the lesson today is not, we should be like Jeremiah and go purchase property. If you get that from this, you have totally missed it. All right? You've totally missed it. This morning, we're looking at Jeremiah's redemption of a piece of land and what God intends to show us from that. So let's walk through the story as it unfolds. We'll read together as it goes. The narrative begins with an example of someone who is confused. It is King Zedekiah. He's confused about the work of God and so he asks the question, why do you keep saying these things, Jeremiah? Hear this from verses 1 through 5. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. All right, pause here. You get the idea. All the things that Jeremiah prophesied, they're coming true. Babylon is is taking the city. It's not going well for people, all right? Jeremiah, the prophet, was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving the city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given to the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Now we started reading that. You may have realized Zedekiah is saying all these things. But you may have lost it quickly because Zedekiah is saying very explicitly the message that Jeremiah has been given him. And as I was reading this, I'm just wondering, and I I looked in commentaries and found some support for this. How in the world would Zedekiah know the detail of these words right here? How would he know exactly, to the T, what Jeremiah was prophesying? Chris Wright calls it ironic that this rebellious king would know exactly what was prophesied. And I'm persuaded that these words bothered Zedekiah. I'm persuaded that this king, he knew what was coming, and so when he laid in his bed at night, he was thinking about these words. Jeremiah had said, the king of Babylon is coming. I'm going to see him face to face. He saying all these things, and he knew this very well, and it bothered him. You know, there are some who... Know about God's word. There are some who know the gospel. There are some who may be near to salvation, and you wonder, Zedekiah, you've been hearing this for years. You're seeing it happen. Why not turn to the words of God as Jeremiah has said them and repent? But there are people. Who know the gospel, they may be near to salvation, but by rejecting the word of God, the word of God becomes a nagging terror for them. And so when we read words, Like Philippians 2, where it says that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what? For the one who hears that and rejects Jesus, that must be terrifying. What if it's true that I'm going to spend every moment of torment in hell recognizing that Jesus is Lord, and I rejected him when I had the chance? For the unbeliever, like Zedekiah, these words, look, they might end up haunting you for eternity if you fail to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation. So Zedekiah is asking this question, why? Why do you keep saying these words, Jeremiah? Zedekiah doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. This is not just... Jeremiah's concoction of uh, sermon content. If If it was up to Jeremiah, I guarantee you, he'd preach something much more palatable than a message like this. What Zedekiah does not understand is that these are the words of God. And so he's asking this question, Why? Why do you say these things, Jeremiah? And this question is not born from a desire to understand, but it's born out of this idea that he is a victim of injustice. I'm the king of Israel. You can't say these things to me. And if it is from God, certainly you are wrong. God is wrong. His word is not true. We will never serve Babylon real confident real noble so Zedekiah and the leaders of Judah are so he's he's convinced this can't be right if it is god is doing us wrong and in reality he's looking at Jeremiah as his enemy i got to imprison him i got to shut him up but in reality he has made the lord his enemy So he's confused, but he's unbelieving. He's confused. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to ask some questions, but the question must be born out of a desire to understand. They must not be born out of a lack of faith. So Jeremiah receives an interesting directive from God. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah said, The words of the Lord... Or, excuse me, the word of the Lord came to me Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard, in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew, that this was the word of the Lord. (laughs) So Jeremiah is told by God what's about to happen and then what he's told actually happens. And we see this character Hanamel, a cousin of sorts, possibly in financial uh, struggles, financial problems. He is practicing what is the law for the people of Israel. Leviticus 25 explains all of this and how... When somebody is in um, a difficult situation and they can't afford what they have, essentially another family member has the right for a year's time to come and buy back the land if they are forced to, to sell it. This is uh, where we get the term kinsman redeemer. If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, you know, you know these words. In that case, Boaz steps in and becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. So Jeremiah right here is operating as the kinsman redeemer. And God instructs him in this. Buy back the land. Now what's interesting here, Hanamel, he may not be just motivated by his financial burdens. He may actually be motivated by his uh, maybe disdain or dislike for Jeremiah. There's actually two occasions in the book of Jeremiah where God instructs him, don't trust your own family members because they're out to hurt you. And so it may be that is like, all right, you're saying all these things about uh, Judah. You're saying all these things about Babylon coming in. And so he may be testing him saying, all right, Jeremiah, put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Buy this land if this is so important to you. Buy this land. You look at this and you gotta say, this is a bad investment, right? This is a a bad investment. You know, you don't go invest in housing when you know the market is about to crash, you don't go and buy up the stocks when they're at their highest before a crash. Jeremiah knew it was coming, so it doesn't make any sense to make this uh, purchase. Right? Turns to a few reasons why this is irrational beyond what we've just said. Jeremiah's in prison; he may never see this land that he's buying. Jeremiah has no wife and children; there's no one to inherit it. Chapter sixteen. The field right now is being trampled by the enemy. Likely it will be useless. It will be destroyed. And then we see the devastation of captivity. The Babylonians will do what they will with this land for so many years, way beyond Jeremiah's life. Doesn't make any sense. This is a bad investment here. But you understand that Jeremiah is following the voice of God, the command of God in this situation. Christian, obedience to God in faith may lead you to invest in ways that are downright laughable to the world. You have folks that ask you why you spend so much time with the church, why you give your money to the church. Just think of all the things you could do with that 10%. Think of, just think of it. It's ridiculous, right, to the world, that you would give your money to a cause like that, and then they see you supporting missionaries. What in the world are you doing? And then better yet, they expect you to explain yourself when God calls you or your family into ministry or overseas to share the gospel with people who do not know it. That's ludicrous to the world. Why would you invest in those ways? It's because we know that God is doing something bigger than what we see with our eyes. It will always be a bad investment in the eyes of the world. So Jeremiah, even he's like, man, I don't know what's going on here. Because we're going to read. Don't know what's going on here. God, help me understand what you're doing here. You've told me to buy this land. I would say to the unbeliever you need to know that if you follow christ there may be some obedience that is irrational to the world there may be measures of obedience that are irrational to your family members to your friends and the question you must answer are you willing to follow jesus amid that criticism they're going to tell you up and down over and over again that is a bad investment Let's look at verse 9. So Jeremiah gives us sort of the commentary here, tells us what exactly happened. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. Just a note here, this is not a, a super high amount of money. It's just an amount of money. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions of the open copy. And the open copy, excuse me. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah. In the presence of Hanamel, my cousin. In the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase. And in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. You see how big a company is surrounding this, this deal, this land deal. A charge Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and the open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah receives this from the Lord, and in these verses describes the embarrassing details of the process. Those of you who have made a home purchase, you know about all the rigmarole that is sitting down and signing all the documents, documents upon documents upon documents, and you're putting a a lot of trust in the attorney that's sitting in front of you. Oh yeah, small print? That's okay, I'll just sign, right? And you sign over and over and over again. My handwriting's terrible and I've had to work very hard to make a signature that looks halfway decent decent. But you know, by the end of purchasing a home, it is just purely chicken scratch on that page. All I can say is, yeah, that looks like I did, but you know, I just signed five hundred and sixty-two other times. So that's probably why it looks like that. And get this, Jeremiah is signing on the dotted line with the witnesses to purchase this piece of property in front of all these people, and it doesn't make a lick of sense. The deal is sealed. The witnesses are present. Then he weighs out his money on the scales and hands it off, all the while trusting that the Lord is doing something in This And you notice something about this. There are two copies. There's one sealed and then there's one put away for safe, or excuse me, there's one sealed and put away for safekeeping. The other was left open as standing proof that the transaction was made. Now, I want you to hold on to these thoughts because we're going to come back to them. But Jeremiah expresses his confusion here, beginning in verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And to this day, Israel, among all mankind, have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and a strong hand and outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered into possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have, all, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds. Have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence. The city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass. And behold you see it. Yet you O Lord God have said to me. Buy the field for money and get witnesses. Though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is expressing his confusion here. And God responds. But notice his confusion, again, it asks a question why. And it's not a question of why are you doing this? This is not just. This is not right, God. It's a why question of help me understand, Lord. How do we know that? Because he reviews God's character, verses 17 through 19. He mentions here an interesting phrase, and I want to comment on it because uh, Kyle mentioned it in 31, this, this concept here. Verse 18, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to the children after them. I want to be clear. This is not a contradiction of what he said in 3130. Everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Jeremiah is simply reminding us of the effects of father's sins in both passing it on. All right. You are, you become like what you behold kind of stuff. Sins that are passed on, but also the consequences. You see, there are children that are born in exile because of the father's disobedience. It's just a reality of the situation. And so God is not going to stop his judgment when he has delivered it. But if you have any question about that, don't leave out verse 19. He says, You're great in counsel and mighty indeed. Your eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So the, the balance comes right there. But you see, Jeremiah is recounting the character of God. Believer, believer, if you are confused and you're seeking answers, begin with the character of God. Begin with what you know to be true. Don't begin with your questions or your concerns because when you begin with what you understand, you will be led into error. God, show me your character that I may know the answer here. So it's God's character, and then he goes into God's faithful works. Verses 20 to 23, a summary account of the exodus. You let all these people out of Egypt, they disobeyed you, and this has come upon them because of that. So God's character and God's faithful works. Do you review God's faithful works in your life when you have questions? Do you say, God, I know you're righteous, and I've seen your goodness. Now can, can, I, can I have a bit more understanding? So God's character, God's faithful works, and then he mentions God's current Control. Verse 24. All this that's happening right now, you spoke this and it has come to pass and you see it. So the question comes in 25 why? Why? Yet you, O Lord God, said to me, Buy this field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. So contrast with Zedekiah, who thought God's ways were unacceptable, Jeremiah's question is one of understanding. And now it's simply, God, you've asked me to do this. Help me. And some commentators think that verse 26 sort of interrupts Jeremiah's prayer. God steps in mid-prayer and starts answering the question. Verse 26, he says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against the city shall come and set the city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to bale and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger. By the work of their hands declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. This is... a. Uh... It's a tough response. Verse 28 and 29. Here's what's going to happen, as we have heard over and over, destruction. Verses 30 to 35. Here's what's going, or here's why it's going to happen. The people have provoked me to anger. You heard the list. False gods, evil. They turn their back on God. They refused his instruction. They defiled his temple. They've offered their children in false worship. And we immediately are hit with the fact that like Judah, our sin has made us an abomination to God. Our false worship, our hard hearts, our closed ears, our disregard, maybe even disdain in many cases for the people of God, the temple of God, the church. And our children offered up to world systems, godless ideologies, man's pursuits, the values that we do not find in scripture. I hope you see, folks, that our sin threatens to leave us in a pile of ashes. But because of God's covenant faithfulness, he will not leave us that pile of ashes. Verse 36, he continues. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence, behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. See the kind of investment that God makes in his people? All my heart, all my soul. Though sin, verse 37, separates us from God, he promises to give his people one heart, to provide one way which will be passed down from generation to generation. Verse 38, his new covenant will be everlasting through which all good things are ours. Maybe you're reminded of that verse. Romans tells us if he's given us his son, How will he not with him give us all things? And then verse 41 really caps it off. And it's going to correct a lot of our wrong thoughts about God. Those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have recently had thoughts about the gospel and have not come to the conclusion that God is absolutely for you, that he loves you, that he wants to give you good, he wants you to thrive, he wants you to grow, if you have come to the conclusion that God is sort of just hanging over you, waiting to do bad to you, you're wrong. That is not God's word. Do you see? He puts his heart, his soul, into making you what he wants you to be. Don't be deceived by the enemy. But still there's this question, why? It's not fully been answered yet. And so he continues in 42. And I believe he gives a, he gives Jeremiah the answer he needs. Verse 42 For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon the people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought from money. Deeds shall be signed, sealed, witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Here's why you're buying this field, Jeremiah. The land you're purchasing, Jeremiah, ravaged by the effects of sin, I will redeem that land. And in this moment, Jeremiah's confusion is met with answers. He deepens his understanding of redemption. And at the very least, we know Jeremiah, as far as he's concerned, he learns more of God's gracious redemption of the people from exile. He sees a new facet of God's purposes and That includes that this land will be bought again. Money will be given. It will be valuable. Documents will be sealed. Witnesses on looking. Payment is going to be made to redeem this land. And as far as it concerns the new covenant... God is foreshadowing a bigger event in the story of redemption. In this event, someone signs on the dotted line and makes a good investment. A good investment. There is a signature. There is a signature, but it wasn't, it wasn't a signature of a cousin. It wasn't a signature of a, any mere human And it didn't come from ink that flowed from a pen. It was the blood that flowed from the God-man as he was hanging on the cross. The only one sufficient to turn away God's wrath forever. The only one with his own righteous standing before God that could accomplish this work. It is that blood that signed our pardon. What can wash away my sin? nothing but the blood of Jesus. What are we saying? Oh, precious, precious is the flow. These words that were spoken by the, the blood flowing from the body of Jesus Christ, these words are the words of the new covenant. That was given to us. There's a signature. There's a signature, okay? Jesus signed on that dotted line, but there's a seal. And it's not your faith that seals you. It's not your hold on God that keeps you. It's not your obedience that maintains you as God would have it. He provides the seal. He seals you in the beloved. Your redemption is sealed in real time upon your faith in Jesus by the indwelling Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's a sign, and then there's a seal, and then there are witnesses. And I would say that these witnesses are in heaven and on earth. You know that there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents and believes. Do you know that there's rejoicing in the heavenly places when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ? Those witnesses are looking upon the salvation of a soul, and they rejoice in the work of God. These witnesses see this, but there are other witnesses. There are witnesses on this earth. Do you know that day when you profess faith in Jesus and you entered into that water? And all those people looking upon your testimony, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are witnesses of what happened. There's a signature. There's a seal. There's, there's witnesses and there is payment. There is payment made. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, as we read earlier, it wasn't a payment of silver and gold. We were redeemed not with, with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You thought you could make the payment yourself, but you realized that your debt was insurmountable. You could not get out of that hole when you came to realize just how great of an offense your sin is to a holy God. You thought you could make it right, but your sin crushed you, and the harder you tried, the realize, the more you realized you could not do anything to earn his favor or to accomplish your salvation. And there's no amount of riches you can offer God and there's no amount of so-called righteousness that you can give to God as sufficient payment. There is nothing that you can bring to the table to turn his wrath away from you. This payment that was made can only be, and it is only, the blood of Jesus. You need that kinsman redeemer to step in and redeem what was lost in the fall. You need that redeemer to make this payment. You need the redemption that only He can bring. There's a sign, a signature, just seal, witnesses, payment. And then as we read here, you notice that there were two copies. I think it's reasonable to view these copies in light of New Testament truth. There was a sealed copy that was put away for safekeeping. You know, why they would do this is because if there was any question about whether the open copy had been tampered with, they could go break out the sealed copy and say, all right, it's the same. You know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 27. You know what Jesus said to the disciples when they got all excited that they could cast out spirits and demons? And you know what he says to them? Don't be be excited about that stuff. does not mean anything. You know what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's a sealed copy. I'm going to say it just like this Can't nobody touch that copy. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is sealed, it is sure, and you can take it with you for the rest of your life because that work was done at Calvary. There's a sealed copy, and then there's an open copy and we're done. This open copy is the proof. It's the proof, proof of your life transformed. It's the evidence that you follow Jesus. It's the testimony of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and filling you. You may be able to testify to some degree to that sealed copy, I came to know Jesus on this day. I was baptized on this day. But I would ask you, what's that open copy look like? Maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen. Maybe you realize that you have not been sealed in the beloved. Maybe you realize you have not come to know Jesus this morning. Let me tell you that God looked upon the people that he would save. And he said, this is a worthy investment. Here's the thing, though. It's not worthy because somehow you are worthy of being redeemed. It's not worthy because God saw you and said, well, they'd be great to have on my side. Man, I'm going to get them on my team. It's not great because of anything found in you. It's great. It's a great investment because it brings glory to God. You want to know why you were saved? Because God deserves that glory. Mm. Mm. And we read throughout the scriptures, we learn that we are God's field. We are God's building. We are God's new city. That new city that will descend when the time comes upon a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. You never thought that a land purchase could show you so much about Jesus, did you? I hope, oh man, I hope you walk away rejoicing this morning in the salvation that is ours, the payment of redemption, that redemption that comes only through Jesus. If you need to respond, I am available. Even though I'm up here, I can Minister to you, pray for you, however you need. Um, This morning, respond to the word of God in repentance. Believer, repent as he leads. Unbeliever, repent because today is the day of salvation. The time is now. Father, we bless your name for your word this morning and the many treasures that we have uncovered in Christ. We pray, Father, that you would, God, show us, show us even more of who you are, your character, your ways, your works. Father, we can look back upon our lives and see your faithfulness all along the way, faithfulness to bring us to where we are now, and we rejoice in this. And Father, I recognize that there are times in our lives where we're confused about Your work. We're not sure about what's going on. Help us to lean in to You. Upon truth, and seek those answers. Holy Spirit, meet us in our time of need as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey amen. If you would, let's stand.